Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. In Series 1, Episode 5, recorded last year, we spoke to Sam Dennigan, CEO and founder of Strong Roots, a super brave insurgent brand in the plant-based segment of the Frozen category. Sam promised to check back in with us this year and let us know how their recent launch in the USA had gone and share some key learnings with us. Sam, welcome back to Brand Growth Heroes. Thanks for having me back, Fiona. So we promised listeners nearly a year ago now that we were going to catch up with you once you'd got the USA market up and running, right? And we did that about four weeks ago. And then COVID-19 got in the way, so we never released that episode. So we're here again today recording a second update on how Strong Roots is managing during this crisis and, and what effect it's having on your business. So I'm going to cut to our original update on the USA now, and then we'll get to talking about how you guys are managing with COVID. Is that okay? Sounds good. All right. Sam Dennigan, welcome back to the show. What side of the pond are you calling in from today? Hey, Fiona, how are you? I am currently calling you from uh, Manhattan in New York. So the last time we spoke, Sam, you had just launched in the USA and you had promised to come back and fill us in on all your learnings. So tell us about your experience over there. What are you learning and how is Strong Roots performing in the States? Yeah, I can't believe it's been just under a year. We launched into our first customers just under a year ago in June. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a life changer, to be honest. First of all, launching into a continent as opposed to a country, which is a first for me and us as a company. And then moving my family across the Atlantic Ocean to, to set up since the 1st of October. So it's been both challenging and very much back to school from scratch two huge things going on in life at the same time. I mean, that's that's crazy. So talk to us, what is the range of Strong Roots products that you have in the States? Are they any different to the range that you have in the UK and Ireland? And, you know, what's retail grocery like out there? Yeah, so we decided very early on pre-launch that actually we were going to take our hero SKUs that we had built the business on and not launch them in this market. Uh, the main... <laughs> It seems seems crazy and very daunting, and it was a big risk for us, but actually it's paid off because sweet potato is very much a commodity in the US, and it's where we got the idea for the company in the first place. Okay. So in November, we decided to, with heavy hearts, to not launch our kind of hero SKUs. Sweet potato is a commodity over here, whether it's fries or chunks or wedges, and is has gone through the brand builds all the way into private label and being completely commoditized. Okay. So we led with the remainder of our range and only a very select amount of it. We have eight SKUs or products in the market today, um, which is three of our burgers, two of our bites, or as they call them here, appetizers, and our mixed root veg fries, um, beets, and, and cauliflower hash browns. Okay. And as you'd expect, you know, quite similarly to the UK and Irish market, the closer to potato alternatives have been the winners and the meat alternatives have been the ones that people see as innovative and a point of difference for the market. Okay. And so what stores are you in over there? 
So I knew you were going to ask me this because I'm sure I threw out a number the last time. And up until last week, we were in uh, two and a half thousand stores. And from next month, with the onboarding of Whole Foods, that number will be just under 3,000, which amazingly was our goal for this point in time. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, yeah it, is, it is fantastic. And the team have done an amazing job of making sure that everything has gone to plan. So Whole Foods and who's the other customer that you're in? So uh, currently we're only in, in a single region of Whole Foods, which is just uh, about 30 stores. Right. Um, our, our major customer at the moment is Target. We're also in a very upmarket East Coast chain called Wegmans. In the southern states, we're doing very well with a chain called The Fresh Market. Okay. In the US, it's important to understand that chains can be as big as Ireland or in the UK, but in uh, specific states rather than national. Sure. Uh, there's a huge natural foods movement that can be contained to a state or a number of states in a region that's kind of catering for different tastes. Okay, so talk to us about, you know, what you're learning over there. What's the same as at home and what is different? I'm thinking about, you know, our listeners who are imagining one day launching in the USA or even USA listeners who are thinking about what it might be like in Europe. What is the same and what has really surprised you over there? The biggest difference, which you have to learn very quickly, is the difference in supply chain and distribution model. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're trying to service or you could be trying to service a continent instead of a, a single territory, for the most part, the major retailers and most of the independents have formed alliances with specific distributors depending on what category of product that you're in okay. and where you're trying to reach in the country. Okay. So... Usually, there is some exceptions, but usually there is a another middleman, which you mightn't have within the European market. Okay, so whereas at home, we would have a direct relationship with our retailer and we would also supply directly to them. It's not the same in the US. You still have a direct relationship with the retailer. Right. But there is a service provider in the middle that gets your product to their shelves. Okay. And does that complicate things or make it easier? It depends. Some of the distribution partners that the retailers work with, uh, for the most part, are unbelievably efficient mm -hmm. and have been a huge part of our early stage successes here. Uh, some of it uh, is broken. And I think there's a huge opportunity for certain parts of the market here to actually end up in what's called a consolidation model, which is what people will be more, more familiar with in, in Ireland and the UK. Okay. Okay. And does that mean that your team over there from a supply chain and operations point of view needs to be any different to your team back in, in Ireland and the UK? Well, we have taken the decision that our headquarters of operations are in Dublin. Wow. Okay. So believe it or not, we're currently running the supply chain and uh, product production and uh, the movement of products and financing of products, et cetera, all from our headquarters in Dublin, in Ireland. Well, that's amazing. The, the team that we've developed here is mainly focused on uh, sales and marketing. There's obviously a huge amount of relationship management with the retailers across the country. But for the most part, operations are being run from Dublin. Okay, so you have uh, some members of the team out there in the US, or at least you've taken on team members in the US, have you? 
Yes, so uh, we are currently five people, and that is likely to move to about 10 before the end of the year. Okay, so you're going to be seeing some real growth in terms of distribution or sales for the end of this year, are you? Yeah, we we have spent the last year conversing with every retailer in the country, big and small, and we have had some success with some of the majors and some of the natural food channel as well. What's important to understand about the US market is just that they've got an extra category of retailer. Right. You know, convenience exists. Normal grocery would be called conventional. They obviously have the big box stores uh, like we'd have in Ireland and the UK, like Costco or Musgraves Cash and Carry. But um, in the US, they also have the natural food channel, which was kind of born out of the development of whole foods and whole foods like chains. Okay. And within that, you've got huge retailers in European terms that might be a smaller part of the market, but in a much more valuable, profitable side of challenger brands and mainly branded product. Yeah, and very much, I suppose, on target for your consumer and shopper target over there in the States, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the cost of food is much more in the US. Mm-hmm. Our customer has always traditionally been a you know younger urban female shopper with a more disposable income than most. And as a result, we're just catering to a bigger audience of, of the same demographic. So does that hold true then in the States? I mean, I think you just answered the question, but is your consumer and are the occasions that your consumer is consuming your product for over here are you finding that it's very similar over there in the States in terms of lifestyle, attitudes, behaviours, occasions? Yes, yeah, similar and, and more. Uh, I think what I've found in the US market in particular, that there's categories that just don't exist in Europe. Okay. You know, within, within the frozen category alone, where things might be um, broken down in the most granular way to maybe four, five or six categories within a small store in the US, they've broken that down even further to maybe 12 to 15 categories, wow. which means that for a range like, like ours, which is quite diverse in a lot of the retailers, we're speaking to three and sometimes four different buyers for the range. Oh my goodness, that is a lot more complex than over here. So what do you spend most of your time doing then, Sam, at this kind of early stage of a new business venture into the United States? That's a really good question. Well, I mean, very recently, uh, post our funding round last year, we realized that what we had been doing uh, needed to uh, increase from a, a value point of view, from a distribution point of view, from a resource point of view, and, and that includes people. So very recently, the business has onboarded a new COO. Okay. And Fergal, uh, Fergal McGarry has come in uh, since the start of January in order to literally take over most of the, the day-to-day operations of the business, which we had been spreading around between ourselves for the last couple of years. Right. So my role has shifted from being an overall operational manager of the entire group to very much being a traditional CEO position, but also head of uh, the US and head of R&D, which is how I started the business. So I've, you know, in the five years that we've been doing this or I've been doing this, I've come full circle back around to 
the, the very recently started the business. So mm. it's been interesting. And you've also moved your, your family out there, your very new family, right? You have a, a little guy, don't you? Yeah, Joseph's now uh, 60 months old. And um, it's crazy to think how much things have changed since the 1st of December in London to now in uh, in New York. So you're going to have an American son. I mean, I, I don't well, mean nationality-wise. It, it's a strange but... one. I mean, depending who you're talking to, he has a, he's a British passport, he's right. an Irish passport, and probably an American accent. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Sam, I know that you have a hard stop at two o'clock. So we've got literally four minutes left to get the rest of this update from you. So tell us, how is the brand actually doing in terms of sales? And what are consumers in the States saying about the brand? And what are you seeing about Strong Roots in the press? Reaction has been really positive, both from consumers and from retailers. Um, The most important thing is the product is moving off the shelves. Mm -hmm. The biggest concern we had coming to the US is that for all of the research that we did, you know, we'd missed something or the consumer sentiment just wouldn't be there. But the product is selling and it's selling well. You know, our rates of sale are good. You know, for people who haven't got experience in this market, rates of sale here are much, much less than what you would see in the UK or Irish markets. You know, maybe 25%. That that sounds really surprising. Why is that? The reason for that is because there's so much more brands on the shelf besides your products. So where we have, let's say, two, three, four competitors beside us on the shelf, of a big retailer in Ireland or the UK, there might be 15 to 20 here. So you're not just competing against private label and a couple of others. You're competing with private label and 15 to 20 brands that might have a half a billion to a billion uh, dollar business. Okay. Um, So it's much, much more competitive and therefore the rates of sale are lower, but the retailers are doing the same average turns or rate of sale as, as a normal retailer would. And they're happy to do that across more brands. I mean, you know, it sounds like they are not concerned in the same way as, say, the UK or Irish retailers would be about having a very small but the right choice for the shoppers. Do the, the consumers in the States or the shoppers in the States want a broader range than we do? Well, remember that, you know, for the most part, there's a lot more diversity. There's a lot, lot different cultures. There's a lot different tastes okay. uh, going on in every market here. So servicing a national retailer here means that you have to service everyone and all of their cultures and tastes at the same time. Okay. So having a wider selection is actually something that brings customers into the store versus, you know, granulates the, the offering. Okay. Okay. I understand. So you're doing well. And what are the consumers saying about Strong Roots? I mean, what kind of feedback are you getting? Yeah. I mean, every, everything that was true of our product and why people got it in Ireland and the UK is the same as here taste wins and a lot of the natural healthier alternative brands here have failed to deliver on the taste part of the product um, which is obviously the most important so we're winning on taste people are buying and people are continuing to buy and we have huge customer loyalty and that that's ringing through in the press as well especially with our cauliflower hash browns where we've had a few famous people, including Jennifer Love Hewitt, pick up our product and post about it on social media um, without our knowledge because of the taste and clean deck of ingredients, which is really important here as well, especially on the on the West Coast. So to further back that up, we have had two awards since we uh, launched the brand over here. 
Wow. The first one I think we talked about the last time, yeah. which was the, the next year award at Expo West in 2019. And then just last week, which is actually unannounced currently, is uh, we won the Fresh Markets Brand Award for Innovation as uh, the best innovation across the entire store in 2019. So, Wow, well done. That's fabulous. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And it's great to see the success of the products based on taste and simplicity of ingredients carrying through to another market, even though it's so big. It is. So look, I know you have to go, but before you do, what one or two or three things would you say are watch outs for people who are considering going to the States? What things did you not expect to have to think through or put time or money into that you have had to consider? I think um, the cost of doing business here is completely different. I think you have to be prepared to uh, for a huge cash burn early on. Okay. And uh, that's something that we were luckily prepared for and, and, you know, something that we had envisaged beforehand. But I've spoken to a number of brands who have not done that and have fallen fell to um, just being able to have working capital to run their business. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is the reality of the expense of marketing. I think we have and we are focusing on a digital and experiential strategy of doing things in market in a guerrilla style way, but also using a lot of technology because with the exception of very, very large CPG companies or big brands, the cost of advertising in a traditional format is pretty prohibitive right? Uh, unless you're a, a very well-funded tech company. And what does that look like for consumers? I mean, what kind of marketing are they seeing from Strong Roots in, in the States? So right now it's all digital and uh, trade focused. So with retailers and through our own social channels, uh, everything has been focused on getting consumers to try and pick up the products. Okay. We have just onboarded our first US CMO, in Craig Bolan, and he comes from a background in Pinnacle Foods and and also Unilever, um, having previously worked on brands like Bird's Eye and uh, lots of other food brands in the US. And okay. you know what we're what we're planning for now is how can we be agile and nimble at the same time as making a huge impact. So more to come later. There we're we're working that out at the moment. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much for coming back to the show and letting us know how you're getting on. My pleasure as always. We will be checking back in with you maybe at the end of this year again to see how you're doing. But we wish you all the very best. I know that you've got some really big launches coming up this year that you'll be announcing in due course. So we'll be watching and waiting and uh, crossing our fingers for you. Will do. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks a million, Sam. So, Sam, it's four weeks since we recorded that update and a lot has happened. How are you and your team getting on and what effect has the crisis had on Strong Roots in the UK, in Ireland and in your new business in the USA? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a world changer. Everything, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID is uh, completely different than anything that we had before. All the businesses are thankfully still open, uh, which is a very important thing to point out. I know that there's tons of acquaintances and colleagues in lots of different food businesses around the world that are really struggling at the moment, especially challenger brands mm. who mightn't have a stronger foothold or the relationships that we do in the various different countries. And it's pointing out very clearly that, you know, within these these strange times of crisis, that relationships are just so important 
in business, especially where you're relying on bigger multinational companies in a lot of cases to um, to push your product through to consumers. So the first thing is, is that we're open and we have been open and we, we've never really closed. The only difference for us is that we are now working from home. Okay. And um, in fairness, over the last few years, in preparation for the changing culture of the working environment, we were ready to do that. So, you know, we all work on laptops anyway on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. Everything that we do, with the exception of our manufacturing, which is done by a third party, is online, is in the cloud. So we were able to shift from sitting on our desks in the office and moving around to stores to just simply doing that from our front rooms and kitchens and basements sure. and wherever we could find some space. So what about sales? Talk to us about sales. I mean, are people buying differently and are you seeing a difference across the three markets that you're in? Yeah, the three markets are behaving very differently. Um, thankfully for us all positively. So there has been a huge shift by the consumer to non-perishable items. So I'm sure you've seen it in the local supermarkets that you've been going to. It's the dry goods and the pastas and the things that don't go off, which means frozen. And as a result of frozen, in the early panic buying days in all countries, we initially saw the, the standard commodity lines being purchased. But now that we're, you know, nearly eight weeks into this, depending on the on the territory, people are trying new things and new things include strong roots. And that means that we're getting a huge amount of trial, both from the fact that we're non-perishable and that we didn't expect as a brand. So we're seeing huge amount of consumers come to the frozen aisle for the first time and come back, really? frankly. So so sales are, sales are really strong. And have you had data penetration data from Kantar or whoever actually showing that, that new people are trying your products for the first time? The first report that's going to show the shift is uh, probably going to be in June. Right. Um, at the end of the at the end of the second quarter, we, we do have numbers for the first quarter, but they don't show the change in the behaviour relative to this crisis. So June will be a huge telltale of of what's changed. But as an example, our sales in the likes of Sainsbury's in the UK, for example, has gone from the early 10s as a percentage online up into the late 20s, um, nearing 30% of all sales. So that's really the story that I think we're going to see. And then are you hearing anecdotally that people who haven't tried you before are now taking this opportunity to try you? Yeah. So one of the strategies that we have on social media across the three territories at the moment is to user-generated content for our own uh, distribution and advertising. So what we've seen is a huge uptick in that content. People mm-hmm. are at home, yeah. people are still trying to be semi-micro influencers and ultimately everyone is sharing what they're buying because they've nothing else to do. Okay. And yeah, that, I, that I, has, I have nothing that, else to do. I'm sure there's loads of listeners out here who will say, what? But yes, it's amazing. they yeah, have more food, time food to focus. has become the center of everyone's yeah. life. You know, what are we having for these oh, God, yes. three to seven meals a day? And, and also the pain point in terms of, you know, especially if you've, you're cooking for family is what in God's name am I going to cook them tonight or for lunch? What yeah. can we have that's different? Because it is a bigger focus focus than it was before. So you're actually yeah. seeing that reflected in your online user generated content. That's amazing. And so you've seen, have you seen an increase in sales across the three markets? Yes. Yes, we have. So an increase in top line sales and then an increase in the percentage of that that is represented by online sales. Yes, correct. And you reckon that some of that is 
has been generated by people who are new to strong roots? Yeah, I think the biggest area that we can prove that is is in the US. So we launched in Whole Foods nationwide uh, in the 1st of April. Mm-hmm. And our rates of sale have, you know, quadrupled on our expected rates. So forecasts all being redone. Um, and, you know, we know for sure that, you know, they're a new customer because we weren't listed in that environment before. And in addition to that, we're seeing an uplift in all of the the US natural channel in general. And the same thing is happening in the UK, a lesser extent to Ireland because it's more developed. But there's definitely people trying the brand that um, mm. that that weren't aware of it before even rather than just trying to taste it a different product. Yeah, I saw an article, I think it was in the FT yesterday that the non-meat category or the kind of meat substitute category, the plant-based meat category was really seeing an upturn in the USA due to this crisis because actually there's a supply chain issue apparently in meat in the USA. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's true of all territories that we see. I think there's supply problems in uh, animal-based proteins across the board. And I think the early stage panic buying saw that being shopped first as staple traditional items. We found with the with the fear that people are facing that there's a lot of return to legacy brands. So things that are being shopped first are like, you know, a revert to cereals and animal-based proteins and things that are just staples for everyone in the household rather than having you know three four five different meals cooked at the table sure and now there's a little bit of a a return to normal so i think part of that uplift in um, plant-based meat alternatives we're definitely seeing the 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 same percentage increases that that are being quoted in the market on our products that fit in that category like our burgers and our bites Mm -hmm. Uh, i think a lot of it to do is short of supply and increase of demand but what we're really hopeful for is that those consumers that we're trying to create the gateway for plant-based consumption stay yeah. after this crisis is over. And I think one of the biggest things to consider is that there's, there's been a huge focus on health in general over the last 10 years, leading to all of these great new product development avenues that have been launched in the UK and the US market. And now health is just further up that agenda. You know, how yeah. can it not be at the top? post this. So Absolutely. I think it's it's a positive and unbelievably negative outcome at the same time. I know, I know. And and so tell us, you've recently just launched with Amazon, what's it called? Amazon Speedy Delivery or something in the USA? Um, you're putting me on the spot here now. It's an ultra fast uh, delivery program called Prime Now. Prime Now. Which basically covers um, areas close to their distribution warehouses in London and in Leeds. Okay. Ultimately, there's a specific amount of, you know, what what they see for the consumer as staple prime products that are available, much like um, ordering from Deliveroo or Uber Eats or Just Eat. Right. You can get it instantly. So they've really kind of shortened the gap on that last mile delivery. Is that not a massive coup for you guys to be considered? I mean, I am imagining that they want to have a very tight stockhold of SKUs that they feel are really going to be in demand for consumers and how consumers live right now. They're basically saying that you're part of that portfolio of SKUs, right? Yeah, we we were pushing hard, uh, to be fair, to get our sweet potato fries listed on the platform because we feel that they are Mm-hmm. a huge part of the UK's food fabric, if you want. And what ended up happening was uh, that they took the the opinion that actually it was the brand. So wow. we went from one SKU to 
uh, I think it's eight SKUs over a 24-hour period. So we're very proud of that one. That's amazing. And it, does this come back to the point you made at the beginning of this in terms of relationships and how important relationships are with really big Absolutely. corporates when you're an insurgent brand and in the position you're in? I mean, you're basically being catapulted forwards in your growth plan, right? In your growth trajectory yeah. in so many ways, whether it's, you know, penetration, business model, online, how you're working in the office. It's really catapulting you into the future, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I had my board meeting yesterday, which was which was delayed for a month based on, on COVID. And we finally got to sit down via video conference from three different places in the world. And um, it's very much cited that ultimately because of the preparation and the mindset around being a modern business and functioning in an agile way, that you know the supply chain and all parts of the business, even though that there's a huge uplift in the demand on the structure, uh, hasn't faltered. And then in addition to that, understanding that the online opportunity is so great and not wanting to fall behind, we're trying to figure out the frozen delivery at home question for ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of projects um, in beta at the moment, which will test our products in both dark kitchens and in a subscription model direct to home, two different territories, one in the US and one in Ireland. What's the first one? I didn't understand the first one. So a dark kitchen is a mini food manufacturing facility that operates uh, different types and categories of food delivered to the home using a online platform like Deliveroo or over here it's Uber Uber Eats and Seamless. Mm -hmm. So our products would be available cooked finished and prepared to deliver to the home alongside a normal takeout delivery option uh, within the next few weeks. God, you guys are really at the cutting edge of this, aren't you now? I am impressed. I did not know what a dark kitchen was. Why is it called a dark kitchen? Like a dark store, you can't go there and sit down and have a meal. It's simply a delivery hatch or a collection point. Right. So if you imagine you know, going and collecting your pre-made lasagna from a from a catering kitchen, which has happened for years. This is just the, the formalization of restaurant quality food delivered to the home where they don't have a shop front. I suppose it's a bit like what all the local cafes and bars and restaurants have turned into here where I live. Yep. You know, they yep. used to let us in and now they don't, but you can collect from the door or they're delivered to your doorstep, which is funny, isn't it? There's this melting back up and down the chain and sideways morphing what your model was versus what your model could be. And I think, you know, I'm, I was trying to kind of articulate my thoughts on this for something I'm talking at next week. But as long as your purpose stays the same, which is to deliver great tasting plant-based food in frozen to people so that they've got healthy stuff in their freezers. Well, it doesn't even need to be in their freezers, does it? It's healthy stuff when they need it at home. Yeah. Then you can morph business models in all sorts of ways in order to achieve that purpose. But your strategy does change, doesn't it? Your purpose stays the beacon, but the strategy changes, right? Yeah, this is very much a a testing ground for us to make sure that we're prepared for, you know, food future. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we're very conscious of is trying these things to assist the consumer. This is all consumer led, remember. But one of the things that we have to remember is that it has to be sustainable after whatever the the reverting to normal is because people are are going to be sensitive for a time about how they consume food and where they consume it from yeah but when you know we don't want to affect uh, the hospitality industry at large you know we want people going out we want people spending money we don't want to stay in a 
recession or depression for a long amount of time because that affects everything as well. Sure. Ultimately, we're, we're, we're trying to, as exactly you said, you know, deliver positive food choices to the consumer, whatever way they need it. And if that's not retail at the moment, then then we have to adapt. What do you think, what lines are you putting down in the sand in terms of what the future of consumer behaviour in terms of your consumer and your category is going to be? What are we going to be left with? What's the legacy of the current changes that we've all had to make in our everyday life in terms of how we eat and how we plan what we're going to eat? Yeah, I was always told and, and read that you know, you have to do something consistently for for three days, either to break a habit or make a habit. And I think everyone's been in captivity now for, for over two months. So the habits have already changed. And you have to look at just how people are, are consuming, you know. Here in New York, there's now pints being served out of windows of pubs just to try and get people back into work and trying to get the cash registers full again. Mm -hmm. And I think if anyone's not looking at how their business is going to be affected for the next two years, while people try and figure out what this new normal is with, you know, vast unemployment and, you know, potential failures of business, um, you know, you'd be very foolish because I think it's value and high quality and making sure you are where the consumers are and where the consumers are is changing. So we have to, look at every avenue to make sure that we're meeting them where they need us. And one of those avenues I was really interested to see pop up in the Strong Roots LinkedIn feed recently was your new range for kids. Mm. Can you tell us about that? Because we didn't cover that in the USA update that we did. Yeah, so, um, you know, as you know, Fiona, the, the, the brand started off as a kids brand and then morphed into a, a premium adult brand. And this is us getting to that point when both the uh, interest and the economy is at a place when when it's suitable. We launched we launched Little Roots. I mean, we we chose to continue the launch of Little Roots through this because the perception was that you know parents need our help more than ever at oh, the moment God, to try and yes. find healthy options for their kids that you know they can trust and are not full of crap. So this had been planned for, you know, I can I can say this has been in the works for about five years since the start of the business, mm-hmm. but only now are we established enough to be able to communicate, you know, to a very specific group of people who's very cautious about how they feed their little ones. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, a lot of it has coincided with the birth of my own son and understanding how difficult options and weaning are with simple products that haven't been messed with a lot. Sure. So yeah, it's been important, but it's been something that the consumer and I have been excited about for a long time. So how many lines and when did you launch and where did you launch? So there's there's four SKUs. Uh, our first retailer was Asda um, in the UK. Uh, but they're they're blending into all of the major retailers within the next uh, three to six months. Okay. Um. Obviously, everything is up in the air now because of of COVID. Yeah. Um. So time is kind of subject to change. And then in the Irish market, they they've launched this week in stores and will continue to roll out to the retailers over the next three months. So, um, two national launches, which is fantastic. Which means you know both. We, the consumer and the retailers, all see the the opportunity for this. And um, the initial feedback has been phenomenal. There's four SKUs. There's three vegetables in every bite. So we had a lot of discussion around whether we could make this a um, your five-a-day product. 
but doing it affected the quality and the and the and the taste of the product. Mm-hmm. So And I would imagine also the digestion of youngsters knowing my three year old and my eight month old, I would not like yeah. to be at the end of a five a day product, um so to speak, no. with those with those two. <laughs> no, no. And if you're no, a mum or a dad no. of a young kid, you'll know exactly what I mean. Absolutely. Um yeah, so they're 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 made completely from vegetables. So the crumb on the outside is vegetables, the inside is vegetables and um it's really simple and clean, minimal ingredients of, of literally just the vegetables and naturally flavoured. And first couple of weeks sales already in? Yeah, really good. Um, in some supermarkets, they've gone to from zero to the number two and three spot in the range already. So we've 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 high hopes now. The data at the moment is skewed based on the time we're in and how mm-hmm. purchasing is happening. So we'll probably need a, a longer timeline of data to, to see what the what the reality is but early doors doing really well uh, everyone's happy with them so some huge initiatives have just been launched what's next for you guys i mean could there possibly be anything big coming up in the next few months what with with all of that yeah i think i can probably talk about what's coming kind of towards the end of the year uh, for us um Probably not, Fiona. Ah, I knew I could. I'm watching your face just for any of our listeners. I'm watching his face, and you know what he's doing? He's going, I want to say this, but I'm going to be killed by my director of marketing. We have rules now. Who will kill me? What I'm I'm worried about is um, (laughs) I wanted to tell you about, uh, but not in the middle of the launch because. Yeah, it's not a good idea. We're we're not sure how the reaction is going to be. Sam, don't worry. You don't have to tell me, but we will get back in touch with you and find out once you are allowed to tell us, will you yep. do me the favour of sharing it here first? Yeah, I'll give you the exclusive on that. No thanks, thanks. You're, you're um, a buddy. Thank you. Okay. Well, look, hats off, Sam and team. As always, I'm blown away by everything you're doing. I'm really happy that sales are going well in all of the three markets for you and that you're getting to continue with all of that innovation that you have in the pipeline and kind of catapult forward on your trajectory with all of these different direct-to-consumer models. Really excited to hear about your two projects, the Dark Kitchen and the direct-to-consumer. Would love to find it once you guys have got something nailed on that. Please let us know. And thank you so much for coming back on the show. Delighted as always. Thanks for having me. 